We are back with another episode of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. It's Greg Finley. It's Josh Taylor. And this podcast is brought to you by Ethos Life. Josh, we took last week off for Thanksgiving, and you were out of town. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. It was awesome. It was um, great to first to get out of town for a little bit. We had plans to be out of town for most of the week. We ended up leaving the day late, but we were there for the holiday and got to uh, visit with my uh, my in-laws, my wife's parents, and um, her aunt and uncle and her cousin and uh, her grandmother, who was also there. And we, we went specifically for Thanksgiving, but we also went with the purpose. We were actually able to go out and um, announce to uh, my wife's family and, and then everybody else after we finally got that out of the way that um, my wife is pregnant and we're expecting our second child in May. So it was a really exciting time, really emotional time. Everybody was really happy, and we were able to come back with a little bit extra wind underneath our wings, so to speak. So we're, it, it's been a crazy couple of weeks trying to get everything, you know, sorted out and still processing a little bit. But uh, we're we're doing pretty good and getting ready for the next holiday. And I'm sure when my in-laws come here for Christmas, they'll be just as excited because my wife will be showing a lot more by then and be a lot more baby related stuff going on. So it'll be, it'll be kind of crazy for Christmas, but we're looking forward to it. You kind of broke social media on Thanksgiving with all, with that post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, and it, it didn't help that we announced it so late because it was, I mean, it was later in the evening on Thanksgiving and there were so many people that we wanted to tell before we put it out on social media. Cause we, we wanted our families to know, we don't want our families to find out on Facebook or on Twitter. So, you know, we, we made, we managed to uh, get everybody that we wanted to know, in ahead of time before we were able to announce it and it, it, it didn't it didn't do much difference everybody else still freaked out so it was it was cool but it, it's great to see that kind of support um from people that we know people that we work with people that we're friends with and it, it's it's awesome it never stops you know it, it never stops being important to you when people you know when you know people care about you so it's it's a pretty cool thing and um i talk about it a lot as far as you know the journey for um, our first child, for my son on my radio show, I talk about it a lot because I'll do a segment about crazy stuff my son does. But I also explain to people, hey, this is, you know, it, it's a really big thing for us because we had issues, you know, conceiving at the beginning and we had to have alternate help. We had to have other methods to use. And, you know, there's some people that don't know about it. They don't know what, what's out there. They don't know what their options are. But, you know, if you're struggling with that kind of situation, if you're struggling with infertility, if you're trying to start a family and things aren't going the way you planned, you know, find a good support system, find a doctor. They're out there. There are people that can help you and, and, you know, just maintain the right kind of attitude, keep that positivity going. And we hope that you enjoy the same kind of happiness and joy and sleeplessness and absolute stress that we do. So it, it's a big thing for me. Well said. And congratulations to you both. That's thank you. That's appreciate awesome. it. All right. Well, the Steelers played on Monday night football. They beat down the Colts. 24 to 17. Uh, I mean, we didn't really get to talk about the game before. And, you know, the the game before was the Bengals game, right? If I'm Yes, if the I'm, Bengals game yeah, before. If I'm yeah, I'm remembering this right. Yeah, I mean, they, they completely fell apart offensively in the second half. And I thought in this Colts game on Monday, they completely fell apart in the third quarter. I mean, the Colts get that kick return that goes 85 yards, sets them up perfectly. JT scores the touchdown, and boom, Indianapolis is right back in this game. And, uh, you know, we're thinking, okay, if the offense can't do anything, 
just like what happened in the Bengals game, they're not going to be able to win this game after they gave up the lead. But that fourth quarter, the the run game got going. Kenny Pickett made some plays. George Pickens made some plays, and the Steelers come out victorious, twenty four to seventeen. And you know, I think it was a big hurdle that they got over. That hey, they actually closed out a football game. That fourth quarter drive is exactly what you want out of this offense. That's what you want. That's what I've wanted the entire time. Be able to use your run game to help set the tone, to help control the line of scrimmage, and then let everything else dictate from there. It, it, it has been something I have talked about, Greg, for what, a couple of years now? Yeah. That this team has lacked most significantly on offense is the ability to run the football and control the game. And I was I put this out there during that game. I, I said it before and I'll say it again. Run the ball. I don't care who you do it with. I don't care how you do it. Just find a way to run the ball efficiently and watch everything else take shape around it. The reason why I loved that drive, because they were not under any kind of pressure to throw the football that many times or run the football that many times. They used that opportunity to establish their offense, establishing the line of scrimmage, gaining control of the line of scrimmage, and then using that as an opportunity to find matchups. Because if you keep making a team defend the run game, they're going to have to start adjusting to it. And they start sucking that safety down into the box and you get one-on-one in the outside. And that's when you go to George Pickens. And that's what they did. They did exactly what you and I talked about. And you and I discussed this and you're always telling me, why don't they go for George Pickens more? I said, you got to wait for the right opportunity. You got to have the right chance to where you say, okay, you're giving me this matchup. Okay, thank you. And they gave them one-on-one on the outside with one safety on top. And if you have that every time I'm throwing to George Pickens and that's what they're taking advantage of, but it takes a consistent run game that teams have to now focus on to create that opportunity. And they finally did that and started getting those opportunities as much as they needed them. And they also did that against New Orleans. They did it a little bit against Tampa, but not as much as you would like. But they're doing it against New Orleans. They tried to do it against Cincinnati, but mixed results, and they did it against Indianapolis. But that fourth quarter drive I thought was great. They get inside the red zone. They spread it out. Apparently this was a play that Kenny Pickett said, hey, I got an idea. Let's run this because he felt, you know what, they haven't been able to stop us running the football. They're worried about me running the football, so let's run a zone read have them key on me and open up space for Benny Snell. And that's exactly what happened. He got in the end zone and that's your game winning touchdown. So I loved everything that went into that drive. They did it the way that this should have been the entire season. And I think part of the reason why it wasn't that way was because you couldn't see consistency from the offensive line. You couldn't see consistency at the running back position. You weren't seeing as much plays being made by wide receivers and the play wasn't consistent at quarterback. It was so many different elements to that offense. And then you can even say, okay, maybe there were some issues with the play calling as well, but you roll all those up things up into one ball and you got one big hectic inefficient offense. You didn't have that problem in the fourth quarter against Indianapolis. Everything worked the way it was supposed to work and it resulted in the game winning touchdown. And of course the defense seven point lead fourth quarter, you get a stop and you close out a game. That's the way it's supposed to be done. And that's the way they did it. Finally, they took, Six and a half minutes off the clock on that drive where they score the touchdown. They go five straight pass plays, and then they call that timeout and pick it. Calls up to Tomlin and says, "Let's run the football here. Let's go, Benny Snell, with the run that we've we've thrown the ball five straight times. They're not going to see it coming. They didn't see it coming. It works. Then the two point conversion play, which was awesome. Pickett running for his life. He finds Pickens in the corner of the end zone. <coughs> they get the two. Excuse me." 
Indianapolis gets the ball. They literally move the ball zero yards on three plays, give the ball right back to the Steelers in two minutes, and Pittsburgh takes 348 off the clock on the next drive. Indy gets the ball back, and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about how Jeff Saturday handled that final two minutes in that game. You know, when they interviewed a couple of the Steelers, they're like, we knew they were going to go tempo. We knew they wanted to go fast. You can go tempo. You can go fast. But you also got to utilize timeouts. What was he doing right. there? There's there's a minute and a half left in the game, and he's just letting clock run. I, I figure, if nothing else, and I know a lot of people are so um... – they're so adamant about the use of timeouts as far as stopping the clock. And, and honestly, a lot of teams will tell you, you don't need a lot of time to run a play. They'll tell you that. My thing is stop the clock and just reset. Because after a certain after a certain couple of plays happen, things may not look the same after those two plays. You might have had a plan when you first went out on the field, but if you didn't execute things in the particular sequence that you wanted, you may be in a different situation now. So now you can look at things differently. Down the distance is going to be different. Your position on the field is going to be different. Even the substitutions on the defense might be different. So if nothing else, call a timeout just to say, hey, let's get refocused. Let's get reorganized. And let's, you know, kind of restack our priorities here. And then you can go if A, then B, if B, then C. So if nothing else, it gives you a chance to kind of reset what you plan to do and maybe come up with something that the defense isn't looking for. This is the chance where you can get creative and, and really move things around because you've got three timeouts. You've got time on the clock. You've got the ball. You are in control of the game. And they really didn't exert control that they probably should have. And I, I think that's something that we look at now and say, hey, the clock manager didn't look that great. I'm not worried about the clock management as much as I am. You know, were they going too fast, too quickly, and maybe careening out of control instead of, you know, maybe refocusing on a certain goal? I mean, they started at their own seven-yard line and got all the way to the Steelers' 26. Like, it looked like a very promising drive. They went 10 plays down the field, and I'm, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, if he just uses a couple of those timeouts, they reset, they can open up some plays. Instead, they were hurried, and they were, you know, that play that he threw on fourth down, he rushed it, and the Steelers had good coverage on it. But I thought the Steelers got lucky that Saturday didn't utilize his timeouts in that final minute. Yeah, I, I thought that was a missed opportunity for the Colts. And I, I'll say this again. It, it really looks like, you know, in, in my opinion, it looks like the Colts, I guess they knew what they were planning to do. But my thing is, if you use maybe one of those timeouts, because Alex Highsmith sacked Matt Ryan and forced a fumble, and they lost seven yards there. I don't know why you don't call timeout there. Exactly. That's the time you call timeout. You have, what, a minute 35 to go when that happens. You call timeout. You probably have somewhere between minute 20 and minute 15. You're on the 40-yard line. You're facing a second and 17 on the 40-yard line with a little bit more than a minute to go. Now you know. And you already know you're in four-down territory. So you can stop the clock, give yourself time for your offensive coordinator to come up with three plays. Okay, you're running this one because it's second and 17. So you know you got to try to cut some of that distance. If not at half, at least in half. So if you can try to get yourself to a third and eight or a third and six, you want to call a second down play that gets you to a third and eight or a third and six. Or in, in, in which case, if you find a guy in space, maybe he gains more than that, but you still have time to sort that out. Then you have your third down play in mind. If it's a third down and long, if things go wrong, or a third and short, if things go right. And then if things go right on third down, fine. You reset and get ready for the next first down. If things go wrong, you're already thinking about your fourth down play. It gives you a chance to start looking through that flow chart again as far as mentally. Okay, if this happens, we do this. But if this happens, we do that. 
if for no other reason, do it for that reason. I mean, yeah, stopping the clock is one thing, but the other added benefit is now you get a chance to figure out how you're going to go about this. And I don't think they really got themselves back on track as far as how they wanted it to work. And that second down scramble, Matt Ryan, it worked out for him. He got 14 yards, but only because the Steelers had covered so well and there was space for him to do it. Right. What happens if there wasn't space for him to run? What if one of the guys up front get to Matt Ryan and now you're looking at third in the damn state line? Now it looks worse for you. And you didn't take time to figure out, hey, what should we do if this goes wrong? And I, I thought that was probably the time. If they didn't call any other timeouts, I wouldn't have minded. But after that sack and the strip sack by uh, Alex Highsmith, that's the time you call a timeout because that's when you can actually regroup and maybe come up with a sequence that can win you that game or at least get you in a position to tie and go to overtime. They let 35 seconds or, yeah, 35 seconds go off the clock until right. they got to second down and 17 at the 40. Ryan then had that scramble, which took another 27 seconds off the clock. Yeah, and like then they finally the called timeout. Here. It's like yeah, it, it, it was odd for me. And and they called timeout after the third and three play didn't work. And by then it's too late. Right. Because my thing is you call the third, you call the timeout before that second down play to ensure that second and third down play have a better chance of working. That's that's what bothered me. And I'm sitting there going, that's one of those things that, you know, as a rookie coach, you're not gonna know. But then again. This is a situation they put themselves in as an organization. So somewhere Bill Cower was smiling extremely huge watching <laughs> Jeff Saturday fail miserably at clock management. I, I tweeted about it. I said Peyton Manning some somewhere probably yelling at the screen going, Jeff, call the effing timeout. You know, it just I don't know. I can't remember if there was a Manning cast for that game, but I there was not. What been doing. There was not. It, it would have been funny if there was a Manning cast. I think it was, was it the Denver Seattle game? Yeah, Where first first game of the uh, Monday night football season. Denver wouldn't call timeout, and you could almost see Peyton Manning like physically <laughs> trying to call timeout because Nathaniel Hackett wouldn't do it. Yes. And Eli's like, you gotta call timeout. You gotta call timeout. Like both Manning brothers are almost pretty much begging Nathaniel Hackett to call timeout, and Denver wouldn't do it. That's what it felt like <laughs> in my mind. That's, and it's probably twice as bad with Peyton Manning, you know, yelling Jeff Saturday to call timeout. That's what it felt like to me. So how about uh, on the other side of the ball, we just talked about the Colts' offense. How about the Steelers' offense? Running the football, the thing that you've wanted them to do all season long. Najee gets hurt, but it didn't really matter because Benny Snell picked up the the uh, slack for the run game. I thought Anthony McFarland had a couple of good runs. He had a 14-yard carry. That was his long for the game, six carries for 30 yards. But it was Benny Snell who had 12 carries for 62 yards. I was really happy with what I saw from him. I'm the guy who's been telling you that you don't give up on Benny Snell. This is why you don't give up on Benny Snell. Games like this. Games like this where you need to establish your run game and your offensive line is actually asserting themselves and blocking well. And by the way, this should be pointed out. In two of the last three games, they've won games, but also two of the last three games, they've read for at least 150 yards. And the offensive line should get credit for that. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't get enough. So when you have a game like this, when your offensive line is asserting yourself and you're opening holes, this is where you need a Benny Snell. You need a Benny Snell for this. You even need an Anthony McFarland for this because they were able to run with McFarland out of some sets that you can't run with Benny Snell because you can run Benny Snell north-south and he's going to do what he needs to do. And I thought they did that well under center. You run him north-south and I thought that was good. I thought they changed things up with the Saints in that game and they were running Najee Harris out of the pistol. 
because you're getting him north-south. The hole's there. He doesn't have to choose. He just goes. That's what you want. And you're getting that with Benny Snell. If you go all the way back, all the way back to 2020, when they had to go with that offense in the first five or six games that was working and there were some Matt Canada wrinkles in then and then they just, for some odd reason, abandoned it, they were running the ball well in week one. And who was the guy that was doing it? It was Benny Snell. Mm-hmm. And they were running north-south out of the pistol and it was working for them. And then somewhere along the line, midway through the season, they just abandoned it. They just stopped doing it. And no one knows where it went or why. And that's a homework assignment I'm going to work on one of these days and try to figure out why did they switch the offense up out of nowhere in 2020 in the middle of a winning streak? I haven't figured that out yet. But I'm going to get back to this. I said this during the offseason on Chris Carter's podcast, on the Locked on Seals podcast. This is why you don't give up on Benny Snell because he could have a role. If you're trying to assert your offense and control the line of scrimmage and do it running north-south, Benny Snell's the guy you want to do that. Or if you need to run out of a set, or maybe it's a shotgun set and you got a sidecar, now you have an Anthony McFarlane, a guy who can make moves and shift his way around and see holes a little bit better than maybe a Benny Snell can and still accelerate and get himself through. That's why both of these guys have value on this offense, and you saw it Monday night against the Colts. Benny Snell questionable for this Sunday, but it looks like Jalen Warren is going to play. So, you know, at least they're deep at running back where – if Najee's not going to be able to go, if Benny Snell's not going to be able to go, you still have a guy like Jalen Warren. You still have a guy like Anthony McFarland. They have next man up mentality and a running back by committee. It can work with these kind of guys. It can work with these kind of guys, and it's worked with so many different teams in the last five or six years. And there was a stat. I wish I could remember it off the top of my head. Looking at teams who have won Super Bowls, I think in the last five or six years, the the continuing trend has been running back by committee. It hasn't been just one guy turning out all the yards because the thing is you lose that one guy and things kind of snowball after that. Someone else has to make up the production. Well, you didn't have that problem on Monday because four different guys ran for 30 yards or more. Benny Snell ran 12 times for 62, but then Najee Harris, 10 times for 35. Anthony McFarland, six for 30. Kenny Pickett, six for 32. You had four different guys run for 30 plus this team hadn't done that since 1999. You remember who was in this offense in 1999? Jerome. That was the Cordell Stewart and, and, and uh, Cordell Stewart, Jerome Bettis years. Yes. That's the last time we saw that. That tells you just what kind of, of offense that they played and had to resort to, but also was effective for them. And that's all I wanted. Uh, control the line of scrimmage, running the football, and the rest will dictate itself. And they did it. Did you say the last time three guys ran for over 30 yards? Last time four guys ran four for 30 guys. yards. Four okay. guys. Pickett, Snell, Harris, McFarland all ran for 30 plus. So the last this time team that hadn't happened done was that 1999. Here's some perspective for you. That year was my freshman year of college at Duquesne. And I'm 41. I'm not so even going to tell you. I'm not even going to tell you how old I was in 1999. Yeah. Please, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, but you know. No. I- you I already feel old. You probably know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was happy with what I saw. I mean, I know you've been saying run the football, run the football. Najee goes down, and they didn't really skip a beat because they had guys step up, including Kenny Pickett. Pickett had some good runs as well. I thought Pickett played extremely efficient in this game, 20 for 28, 174 yards, no interceptions, didn't throw any touchdowns, but he didn't make any mistakes. And, and that's the thing that I think people 
and I talked about this before, and you've heard me say this. I, I really get tired of people trying to write the story before it's over. And it's like people don't want certain results. They want them a certain kind of way. And it's like, then again, like, let's remind people, this is a fan base that complained years ago because they won a game on the road without their starting quarterback with fourth down in the game on the line in the closing seconds. People were mad because they won using the Wildcat. <laughs> it, it, did, did it work? Did they win the game? Yes. Shut up. There are people that just want certain kinds of results. And I don't understand it. You had a great running game. Your quarterback was incredibly efficient. And by the way, Kenny Pickett's passer rating has improved in each of the last three games. It just keeps going upward. 79, 83, or 85, 87. It just keeps moving upward. Why? Because he's making better decisions and he's being more efficient with the football. He threw 28 times and completed 71% of his throws. That is numbers that any coach will take sight unseen. They don't care about the number of yards. They don't care about the number of touchdowns. If you tell a coach going into a game, hey, coach, you're going to run for 170-some-odd yards. Your quarterback's going to complete 71% of his passes, and he's not going to throw any picks. Any coach would take that sight unseen. They're going to take that deal. Right. They don't care about any of the other details. That's what kind of offense they ran on Monday night, and people still have nerve to not like the actual details. Why are you worried about the details about the details instead of looking at the result? The result is the goal, and the way they're doing it is the way they should based on what other teams are doing this season. Not based on the personnel that they have or based on what everybody else thinks. It's based on what's working right now. The trend around the league, more teams are relying on running the football for a couple of different reasons. One, this is not the era of slinging it out 40 to 50 throw quarterbacks anymore. All those guys, except for like two, are gone. The rest are guys that have to rely on their running game, and they have to rely on some kind of creativity on offense to get them in better positions to throw and be successful throwing the football. And the sooner people will just accept that and keep trying, instead of trying to pine for the style of football that this team played for the previous, you know, maybe decade or so, the moment you get past that and stop trying to make one guy play like another guy and just have people do what they do well, the moment you start to accept that, you'll accept the results that we're seeing. And I think that's something that people continue to struggle with. Final thing I want to say about this game, and then we'll move on to Atlanta. Jonathan Taylor ran the ball 20 times for 86 yards, only one touchdown, and it was that two-yard touchdown after that kick return. I mean, I think everybody knew what the Steelers' game plan was, and it was to let Matt Ryan beat them and not let Jonathan Taylor beat them. He averaged 4.3 yards a carry. His longest was 13 yards, and he only ran the ball for 86 yards. They held him under 100 yards on 20 carries. You can't really ask for much more, and they got to the quarterback with three sacks. I thought the defense played extremely well. They, they got to him with three sacks. They got him to fumble twice. He lost one of them in the red zone, which was one of the absolute perfect times to come up with a, a turnover. This is why I always talk about winning the turnover margin. Because you never know when a turnover is going to help your team. That was the perfect time for a turnover. To get that turnover right then in the red zone on an extended drive where the Steelers had repeatedly shot themselves in the foot. Penalties had become an issue. I think two different penalties on that drive. Then they also got beat on just a bad play on a possession down. Then they get inside the red zone and force a turnover. That's huge. That is a huge time to do it. So I know people want to keep harping on what this defense does and doesn't do. Folks, they were plus two in turnovers. They were plus two, and they got one at really the most opportune time to force a turnover. When the other team's about to score, that's a huge point swing. 
that you're talking about here that gets taken out of Indianapolis's hands, and now the game gets put back in your offense's hands because your defense made such a huge play. And I'm, I'm with you about this. Jonathan Taylor, that was my primary concern coming into this game. Can they stop Jonathan Taylor? How many times have we talked about how many times I wish that Jonathan Taylor was in black and gold instead of blue and white? You and me I both. I wish that kid was a Steeler <laughs> because he's the kind of running back you would want in your offense, not only because of his ability in the run game, but he can, ca he can catch the ball as well. He does a lot of things as well. He might even be, and this is kind of crazy to admit it because the guy when he was here was pretty good. He might even be more of a souped-up version of Le'Veon Bell the way he does some things because I think he runs with more power but also is still a really good receiver. And that's something that any team is going to want. But he would fit this offense so well. And this defense was able to keep that guy limited. His longest run was 13 yards, Jonathan Taylor? Yep. And he ran the ball 20 times? Once again, that's another offer. He told the coach, hey, you're going to hold him to 20, to 20 for 86. And he's only going to break one for 13. Most coaches will take that deal sight unseen. And, and that fumble you talked about, it looked like Ryan jumped on top of it and they were going to keep the, the drive going. But Chris Wormley somehow, some way, ripped the ball from Ryan without making contact with him because he could have been down by contact. But Wormley yeah. got to the football without touching Ryan and just ripped it away. What a play this by him. This was a game for some of the yeoman's work guys that I always talk about. The guys I tweet about that do yeoman's work. And Chris Wormley is one of those guys that I always tweet about that does yeoman's work. This was a really good game for Arthur Mollett. He had a sack in this game and uh, and had five and five and a, a tackle for a loss. He, he did yeoman's work in this game. I thought James Pierre did yeoman's work in this game. And that was one of those plays. And those two yeoman's work guys, I, if you want to add the three, Pierre, Wormley, and um, – Pierre, Wormley, and Mollette, all three guys made significant plays in this game. Two forced turnovers, and one had a big sack. So, yeah, when you can get those kind of plays, especially from guys that aren't your main guys, and Edmonds that's huge. too. And Edmonds, too. He got a and sack Terrell as well. Edmonds with a big sack, too. I mean, he's, he's one of your main guys. He's one of your starters. But you got three guys who really aren't your main guys that are coming and making plays like that. That's huge. That speaks to the depth on this defense. Because we always have talked about, oh, most expensive defense, most expensive defense. You got guys that aren't starters making those plays. You got guys that aren't making a ton of money making those plays. Stop looking at the price tag. Start looking at what these guys are doing. Because that kind of game, that kind of game is one of those performances that against another team, you may not get that all the time. You may not get that. And you may not get that on the road. And that's another thing. They did that on the road. They didn't do that at home when all the uh, crowd is making noise to confuse the other team. No, they did that at the other team's place. And your, your backup guys are doing this. Your depth guys are doing this. It's hard to argue with that. Okay. Let's move on now to Atlanta. Let's take on the Falcons this Sunday, 1 o'clock, in Atlanta. Uh, you know, I look at this Falcons team, Josh, and they just don't scare me. They're 5-7, and seven, which is second in this garbage division that they're in. <laughs> that The Bucs are going to win by default just because it's so bad. But I look at the Falcons, and they're 28th in total yards in the league. They're 31st in passing yards. Rushing yards, they're fourth, which uh, I don't know how. I guess Cordero Patterson and Algier are running the ball well. So you're, you're going yeah, to have to stop the run. So there's that. And Mariota, yes, that's true. And then defensive-wise, 28th in total yards, 28th in passing, 21st in rushing, 25th in points allowed. 
the Steelers should be able to do whatever they want against this defense, and as long as they can stop the run, they have the same mindset that they had with Indy where you make the quarterback beat you, just don't let him run all over you. But if you make Mariota throw the ball 30 times, I love the opportunity to get some turnovers and run away with this one. I think the Steelers are going to win this with no problem. Yeah, this is a matchup that definitely favors them. And I'll point this out. For the first time this season, this team is a road favorite. They were not a favorite in any other game they played on the road this season, and they've won two of them. So imagine that. Yeah, the line, so they come the line in, flipped mm-hmm. today. The Steelers oh, it did. Rolled. It flipped back to, to Atlanta. No, no, no. The Steelers are a one-point favorite, but yesterday, earlier today, the, the Falcons were the one-point favorite. It's been flipping all day. Yeah, it, it opened it opened earlier this week with the Steelers as a one-point favorite. So it, someone's someone's having fun at Vegas' expense, I guess. But, you know, this is a game that I expect the Steelers to win. And if, if for no other reason, that stuff you laid out, just for the fact that, you know, they have the matchup in hand that they won. Because this is a team that, yes, can run the ball, but the Steelers are also good at stopping the run. They're one of the best teams in the league at doing it. I'm going to keep reminding people of this because all they could talk about last year was how this team was the worst in the league at stopping the run. Well, now they're top five, and we don't want to talk about it. We want to be part of, oh, is that is that empty numbers? Was it empty numbers last year when they were the, when they were the worst against it? So why would it be empty numbers now where they're one of the best? Pick a lane and stay in it. That's all I'm asking. But this is one of those games where – the matchup favors the Steelers, even though it is good on good, because the Falcons can run the ball a bunch of different ways. You mentioned it. They're one of the best teams as far as rushing yards. However, they've only really got one strong receiving threat in Drake London because Kyle Pitts is out for the rest of the season. He's had, he had MCL surgery. He's done. So now this is one of those times where they can really put their focus on stopping the run and say, okay, let's put pressure on Mariota. Let's get after him. Let's force him to put the ball in the air. And let's feast after that, whether it's getting after him in the pocket or when the ball's in the air and bringing it back the other way. This could be a plus two, plus three turnover day for the Steelers. At least that's how I feel it should be on defense. I agree with that. It, it I, I look at these receivers and they've got Drake London, like you talked about, and they also have uh, Zacchaeus. I mean, these are these are guys that nobody really knows in the NFL. I mean, right, and, and, and Zacchaeus is he's only caught thirty plus. He's the only guy besides Drake London who's caught at least thirty passes. No one else has because Kyle Pitts was the only other one. So you got a really you know not productive group of receivers around here. But at the same time, if there's a team that has a knack for letting not productive guys start feasting on them. It's the Steelers. So that's the thing you keep an eye on. You worry about that and say, oh, okay, well, you know, you, you don't want to you don't want to let the no-name guys start to torture here because you're not paying them a lot of attention. You still got to respect what they can do in the passing game just because you shut down the run game. Mariota's thrown eight interceptions to a 14 touchdown. And he gets intercepted a good bet. So I like I like my prediction of multiple interceptions even better now when I look at that. He's got a 62% rate or uh 62% completion and an 89.5 rating. He's been okay this year. He's thrown for over 2,000 yards, about 171 yards per game. But I just think T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, Cam Hayward, they get to Mariota. They can stop the run early, and they're going to make his day a little bit more miserable, don't you think? Yeah, this is a minus one turnover margin team. And I don't think people really, you know, pay attention to turnover margin as much as I do. And that's why I'm going to keep hammering at home. They're minus one Steelers are plus two. And and that just happened within the last three weeks because they've been plus six in the last three weeks as far as turnovers. So they went from minus 
two positive in just three weeks Wow! <laughs> because their defense did what they continued to do when their offense cut down on their turnovers. They went from minus four after the Eagles game to plus two going into this game in just three weeks. So that tells you the difference as to how this team has grown and how they're starting to really get into that blueprint that you and I have been talking about pretty much since last season and what they want to get into and what kind of game they want to play. And this makes a team like the Falcons play right into their hands. They're very liable to turn it over. They don't force a lot on defense. And this is something that the Steelers can exploit. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the college football playoff because we're, we're on championship Saturday. And so we got to give our final four for the college football playoff. There's also news about college football that we need to discuss and we need to do our hot sheet segment. So We'll be back. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. What episode is this? I don't. Are we on 54 now? Because we're think, on 54. So who who are we going with? This is right on the fly. We did not prepare for this. <laughs> 54 um, is a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to think about I'm trying to think about Steelers. You want for World War 54? Let's let's go to break and I'll think about it while we're while we're trying okay. to pick figure this out. When we I come, think I can pick well, this out quickly. When we come back, we'll tell you who uh, Hardy Nickerson. That's uh, Hardy Nickerson might be the one. That's that might be a good that's one. That's who I'm seeing at War 54. So we're going to go with that's the Hardy one. Nickerson episode. This is the Sunday Morning Grind podcast brought to you by Ethos Life. We'll be right back. The Sunday Morning Grind podcast is presented by Ethos Life. Get up to $2 million in life insurance the easy way with Ethos. Skip the medical exam and weeks of waiting. With just a few health and lifestyle questions, Ethos approves up to 95% of applicants in about 10 minutes with coverage from trusted carriers. Tailor your policy to fit your budget and get help from licensed agents whenever you need it. Ethos provides instant coverage for more families than any other provider and a top-rated experience customers love. In the time it takes to drink your morning coffee, you can get peace of mind for your family today with Ethos. Welcome back to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast brought to you by Ethos Life. I'm Greg Finley. He's Josh Taylor. Josh, championship Saturday. We're going to talk about those games in hot sheet in just a minute. But first, I want to hear your four for the college football playoff, and then I'm going to give you my four and my theory that I texted you about earlier, and you reply with a Ben Roethlisberger O gif because I think I've piqued your interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, my four are pretty much the four that I had stuck with for a while now. Um, I had pretty much predicted it would end up this way, and it was the winner of the Big Ten, in which case, it's Michigan at this point. I'm assuming that they beat Purdue, and I think they will. But I had Georgia 1, Michigan 2. I actually thought Ohio State would beat Michigan, but it's Michigan this time around. Uh, TCU 3 and USC 4. I thought USC would win the Pac-12. I thought TCU would win the Big 12. Both of those teams might have the biggest challenges of the four. I, I, I would easily assess that those two are, those are the two biggest challenges. Utah for USC, who they lost to already this season by one point. And then TCU facing Kansas State, and that's a tough Kansas State team to play against in a neutral site. So those are the two toughest, I think. But my four are pretty much the same as it is right now. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC, because that's what I expected. Okay. Uh, I'll give you my theory first, and then I'll give you my Okay. My theory I'm, I'm curious is, about this one. My theory is two teams are losing championship Saturday that probably shouldn't lose. Well, actually, championship weekend. USC is going to lose to Utah and TCU's going to lose to Kansas State, 
and Alabama and Ohio State are going to get back into the playoff. Wow. And you're going to get all the chaos in the world. <laughs> wow. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting because if USC and TCU lose, are you immediately running to Alabama and Ohio State? Because if you're Tennessee, you're going, hey, what about us? But a two-loss Tennessee team over a, over a two-loss Alabama team when Tennessee beat Alabama – but they lost I would to make South a case Carolina. if I was Tennessee. Yeah, Losing I'd make a to case South if I was Carolina Tennessee. Hurts I... them. What's that? Losing to South Carolina the way they did—that's got to hurt them. This is true. Losing to South Carolina hurts out uh, uh, hurts Tennessee, just like losing to LSU loses hurts Alabama because that's it a does. three-loss LSU team. That's true. So it's I mean that's what cost them the SEC West. They should be in the SEC championship game, but they lost a three-loss LSU team. So just like Tennessee should be in the SEC championship game, but they lost to Georgia. So losing to Georgia to lose a division looks a lot better than losing to LSU to lose a division. You know what I mean? It, it, just, it just feels like to me that the committee will go with Alabama and Ohio State. They'll go, oh, Ohio State only lost to Michigan, who won the Big Ten. I think they're going to yeah. definitely get in if TCU or USC lose. But then if the other one loses, I mean, if, if USC loses, that's two losses. Ohio State's going to get in over them. If if TCU loses to Kansas State by more than 10 points, I think they go, oh, man, you know, an undefeated TCU team crumbles in the championship to Kansas State, who's got a, a three-loss football team. And I just think Alabama and Ohio State both backdoor their way in. I think Ohio State would be the first choice if yes. that was to happen. I think they're, I think they're definitely the three-seed after that. Mm-hmm. Which sets them back up to face Michigan. That's, That's exactly what my theory is. It'll be <laughs> that Georgia. Would be it'll be Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan. That would be absolutely insane. And I kind of part of me <laughs> hopes that happens because I love chaos. Same. But part of me, part of me hopes it doesn't happen because I think it's a lot more. What sort I'm looking for? It's a lot more true to form when you're seeing four conference champions in with resumes that you can't impeach it, because it, it sticks to the integrity of why they did this in the first place. That's what I think it should be. I know we want to see the most exciting matchups. I know what that's what TV networks want. I know that's what fans want, but if we're talking about deciding this on the field and, and deciding who's the best, not who we want to see the most, then it needs to be more true to the original spirit of why they created the playoffs. So it, it needs to be in my estimation conference champions with the most and impeachable records. And right now, I think those four are in place, assuming each of those four wins their respective championship games. But if your scenario happens, <laughs> man, does the chaos get crazy. I think I think this will get pretty fun. If, if USC wins, they're definitely deserving of getting into the playoff. Their offense has been insane. Caleb oh, Williams yeah. is more than likely going to win the Heisman. Uh, I'm excited about seeing that offense go up against a team like Georgia instead of a TCU versus Georgia game. Like I think USC could actually give Georgia a fight just because of how powerful their offense is. But at the same time, if we can get OSU, Michigan round two, and Alabama, Georgia, come on. Like Who doesn't want to see that? Um, I think some Alabama fans may think twice about it. <laughs> it, it here's why. Here's why. Because as much as we talked about, as much as we've talked about Georgia being the Roman Reigns of college football and, and Alabama being the Brock Lesnar of college football, Alabama is not the Alabama team we saw last year. They're not the Alabama team we saw in 2020. Like this is not that Alabama program. 
I'd make the case that Georgia has become the Alabama type program in the SEC. Like they have become that program to where they are just dominating in recruiting. They're just dominating as far as, you know, uh, the talent on the field. I think they're just there right now. And I think if this version of Alabama goes up against this version of Georgia, it may look worse than it did last season. Because last season's game was incredible. That was an exciting game. Mm -hmm. And eventually Georgia pulled away. I don't think it'll be as fun this time around. Not for Alabama, I don't. It just depends on what Georgia team shows up because there have been games where Georgia's offense just doesn't do anything and they only rely on their defense. And when you have that kind of defense, you can do stuff like that. And now, granted, they were in a dogfight with Georgia Tech till halftime. And I think Kirby just said something to them like, are are we serious right now, guys? It's Georgia Tech. And then they scored 30 unanswered and put them to to bed. So, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with championship weekend, but – the, that's my scenario, and uh, it would be chaos, and we love chaos on this show. <laughs> I have a theory as to why Georgia struggled with Georgia Tech. And what's that? Because the Roman Reigns of college football had to face the college football alma mater of Roman Reigns. <laughs> so it's his kryptonite. <laughs> it was his kryptonite. Yeah, they, they faced the actual football program of Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns was the defensive lineman at Georgia Tech. When, when he was only known as Joanna Y back then. Which is insane. But yeah, yeah. I, I've been waiting for the perfect time to slip that one in there. <laughs> All right, Everything that, comes back to wrestling. You know me. Uh, on, on the note of the college football playoff, news broke out on Wednesday that it has been approved there will be a 12-team playoff starting in 2024. And as a college football fan, that means – more playoff games, and that means more college football to watch for playoff weekend. And it means more opportunities for chaos. Chaos. <laughs> chaos. You're gonna get twelve yes. teams in. Doesn't that doesn't that kind of make it tough though for chaos because the top twelve would get in? <laughs> if if one or two more obscure teams knock off one of the top twelve, especially one of those teams in the bottom six. It, it creates more chaos. That's all I'm saying. Because imagine if a team that like sneaks its way in now gets a bye because one of the top four teams gets knocked off in the conference championship game. Mm-hmm. Because we're we're talking about how you know you could see Alabama or Ohio State slip back into the four team playoff. Well, if it's a twelve team playoff, let's see. Let's say TCU and or USC lose. Now you might see Ohio State and Alabama get first round buys mm. in the twelve team playoff. That's what switches this up. And not only does that happen, maybe Clemson now faces a USC or a TCU in an 8-9 matchup instead of a Penn State because maybe Penn State moves up to a 7 or a 6. All, all of this gets changed around. Maybe maybe Tennessee finds himself in place for a first-round bot. All of this gets switched up now. Maybe Tennessee moves up to 5 and they're facing the number 12 Tulane. All of this shifts around now. So this is why I, I, I'm looking at this like, hey, this could – this could also invite more chaos because if one of those top four teams lose going into championship weekend, now it messes up the whole field. Now there is more of a premium on winning your conference championship game because it either kicks you out of the playoff, depending on your record, or it may affect that first round buy and you might need it if you got banged up guys in your roster. So that first round buy becomes really important for one of those top four seeds in the next two years. Is it the top two get a buy? Oh, and the 12th 12, 12 team field is the top four. The top four get a bye. 
the top four goodbyes. The the Athletic, I thought, did a really cool uh, thing on what the field would look like if they went to 12 teams this season. Mm-hmm. Here's what it would be. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, TCU U, TCU 3, USC 4, right? Yep. Well, each of those four teams would get a first-round bye. Okay. Georgia would face the winner of number 8, Penn State, and number 9, Clemson. So Penn State would be in. Pitt fans would hate that, but it would be funny. Um, It'd be enjoyable US, to see Georgia versus Penn State. That would be a good uh, game. It would be a good game, but that fourth quarter would be brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Roman Reigns stomping on Penn State? Good Lord. Um, Number two seed Michigan would face the winner of seven seed Kentucky and 10 seed Kansas State. Three uh, Three seed TCU would face the winner of Alabama, the sixth seed, and Utah, the 11th seed. Wow. And then fourth seed USC would face the winner of fifth seed Ohio State and 12th seed Tulane. Tulane or Washington? Tulane. Tulane is at 12. Oh, wow. On on my playoff ranking, they're at 18. So maybe I'm looking at something different. Um, Well, the, it was just what the 12 field bracket would look like, I guess, this week. Okay. But this was. Well, maybe uh, Tulane gets in because they won their conference. Maybe that's how they're doing that it. Might, I think that's why they did it. I think that's why they put it together because basically it's like if they use the 12-team format that they're going to go to in a couple of years if they used it for this season. Okay. And I think that's why Tulane would get in because you would put a group of a group of five-team in and Tulane would be that designated group of five-team that won its conference. I think that's the reason why. Man, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I mean, yeah, the, the playoff hasn't been great as a product as of late, and I think it's because they're, they're only playing – three games you got the two semifinals and then the championship you play you play this format you got more games and it'll get the competition will get better and you're gonna have cinderella stories where a two lane can get an upset and make it to the next round of the playoffs you know and it, it creates and i know a lot of people are so turned off by oh well, there's nil and there's recruiting this expands it for a lot more teams to say hey look you might go to Alabama and have a shot at making the playoff, but you may never play. You come here, we could get there within that large bid and still have a chance to beat Alabama in the playoff. It changes your approach to recruiting now. It changes the approach for a group of five teams because there may be people who look out of Tulane or look out of uh, Cincinnati, you know, pre-Luke Fickle leaving for um, Wisconsin or look out of UCF and say, hey, look, you come here, we can load this team up and make one good run and be that Cinderella story. And then UCF, they say, hey, you know, maybe we can actually compete for a national championship. Wink, wink. You know, it, it's it's a whole different scenario. It's a whole different can of worms. Man, I'm looking forward to that. We got what? Me too, man. It, it'll be, be awesome. in 2024. So does that mean next year it's a four-teamer again? Next year will be a four-teamer again. And so then, the 2024-25 season will be the first year. And uh, my best friend who lives down in Georgia – Send me a message. He says, hey, 2025 National Championships in Atlanta. Looks like you're going. <laughs> and I'm like, you trying to tell me I should be in Atlanta in January? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a good case to make for it. I, I'm not going to argue with it. Sounds like Especially fun. considering the fact I might be there next month anyway. So Perfect. You know, if, if it comes down to that, I'm trying to look at the date. Uh, January 20th, 2025. So maybe I should start looking at Atlanta in two years. To go I, see the national championship game. I mean, 2025 is whenever the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to get insane. So, <laughs> yes, 2025 can be an absolute nuts year. Dude, that it's, might it's be our year. That... The Pirates might have like a winning season and put together something insane. Maybe Duquesne will go to the tournament. Who knows? <laughs> don't don't get don't don't give me hope. Don't do that. Don't give me hope. 
That's my MCU reference for the night. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. 2025, <laughs> I'll be 31. I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> man, 2025, I'll be 43, about to turn 44. Or I'll be, I've just turned 43, about to turn 44. Nice. And my son will be on the verge of turning, what, five? My God, that'll be... 2025 would be a year. He'll be getting ready to go to kindergarten by then. That will be a year. Last week, you went three and one in college football. I went two and two. We got two pushes. Now I thought I was going to win both of these. Auburn had Alabama where they wanted them, up by Alabama's up by 15. Auburn had the ball. I'm like, oh man, I'm getting a cover here. Bama gets the ball back. They didn't have to score, but they decided to score. They push at 22. And Penn State and Michigan State, it was a 12-point game. Michigan State gave the ball back to Penn State with like three minutes left. Nittany Lions went down and scored. They pushed, got the dime, too. That was a nice pass. Yeah, they pushed the 19 as well. So I could have picked up two on you. Instead, we tied on those. And I ended up not picking anything up on you. You went 3-1. and one, I went 2-2. Two and two. How about Notre Dame just getting steamrolled by USC? And we both thought that... You know, USC doesn't play very good defense, but apparently it's only whenever they play Pac-12 teams because they play pretty good defense against Notre Dame with a couple of takeaways. They really did. And Notre Dame is not known for their offense. I think Notre Dame is probably better known for their defense. And I don't think a lot of folks expected it to go that well for USC's offense. Caleb uh, Caleb Williams, I think he stamped his ticket to New York. And, and yep. this was a weekend where... You know, Heisman hopefuls needed to separate themselves. And Blake Corum gets injured against Ohio State. I think he might have maybe pulled himself out just for the most unfortunate of reasons. And then C.J. Stroud does not have a great game against Michigan. And Michigan, you know, honestly, McCarthy for Michigan was the guy who lived up the quarterback. So C.J. Stroud, I think, hurt himself. And that opened the door for Caleb Williams to just come out and have a monster of a game against against uh, Notre Dame. So, yeah, credit to Caleb Williams. And I thought the game against UCLA – it, it, that might have been the one that really got people's attention. And then he just stamped his ticket against Notre Dame. Yep. I agree 100% with that. And then the other one that we had was Michigan-Ohio State. You went with Michigan. You trusted the Wolverines to cover. And I went with Ohio State. Michigan won the game outright. For the record, I trusted Michigan to cover. I didn't expect them to win by freaking 22 on the road. In Columbus. In Columbus. Like, what? They hadn't won in, like, 10 years in Columbus. And they go and win by 22. Insane. Absolutely, Absolutely insane. insane. Wow. Okay, so for this week, uh, I picked the, top, the, the, the five championship games that matter to us. We start, <laughs> we start with the Pac-12 championship. Friday night, it's Utah and USC. The Trojans are minus two and a half. You can go first. I think USC wins this one in a neutral site, and I like the two and a half for USC. They lost at Utah by a point, and if you use the the thought process that Tom Barton always taught me, that if you have two teams that are evenly matched, the home team is always going to be a minus three just by default at, at a home site, which means it will be even at a neutral site and minus three for the visiting team. The fact that it's USC minus two and a half at a neutral site leads me to believe that it really does stack up the way it should because they only lost by one on the road at Utah, so it really does even out. I like USC in the, I like USC in this one, not only for the math, but I think USC has learned from that loss against Utah, and I think that offense is just clicking in a way that a lot of teams can't slow them down. 
Well, if my scenario is going to come true, I have to go with Utah. <laughs> and so I'm going to take the Utes. <laughs> wow. I mean, chaos ensues. I mean, I took USC and Utah made me look foolish. So now I'm going to take Utah and Caleb Williams will make me look foolish. So it's only well, fair. <laughs> I, I think we both, I think we, I don't think it's the fact that we kind of mischaracterized USC. I think we both ignored the fact that Utah is so hard to beat in Salt Lake. Right. It's a tough place to play. Like, and college football across the whole, it's hard to win on the road. But there are some places where it's extremely hard to win on the road. And Salt Lake is one of them. So I think we both just kind of maybe looked past that. But they're playing on the neutral site now. And they're playing at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. So it's not like it's... It's not, you know, it's the not same at the Rose Bowl anymore. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's a whole different kind of scenario here. It's a neutral site. And for that reason, being in a dome and not having the same kind of parameters in front of them, I like USC here. And I look at the defense. USC is 195th, giving up 424.8 total yards per game. Utah, 45th. That's a pretty big one right there. Yeah, that's a big disparity. And Utah's defense is good. And I'd, I'd never hold that against them. They're a really good defense. And this is this is that good on good scenario we talked about. And it's good when USC has the ball. This is your good on good. This is your matchup that can dictate, dictate the game. And USC is third in the country in scoring. Utah's tenth. They're not that far off. So right. Utah could pull it off. They really could. If their You're defense if their defense gets some takeaways, they could win. I'm gonna yeah, stick with them. Wrong. I'm gonna take the Utes. All right. I- I like your rationale behind it. I really do. Well, it's also for the chaos. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best part of your rationale. (laughs) Kansas State, TCU. It is TCU minus two and a half. I'm going with Kansas State. I'm going with the upset. You're sticking with the chaos, huh? You know it. Honestly, if there's a team that I see at plus two and a half that I'm going to take, it's going to be Kansas State. And, And it's for a couple different reasons. Kansas State is ranked 10th for a reason. Their resume is one that people don't really want to credit. I mean, they shut out Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State was ninth. They, you know, they lost to Texas by a touchdown, but they were at home. They beat Oklahoma. They, they have won some games that I don't think people were going to thought they were going to win. They went to Waco and beat Baylor 31 to three. And Baylor was no pushover. Like Baylor's a team that pushed TCU to the brink in Waco. Kansas State had no problem in Waco. They wouldn't beat them by four touchdowns. Like, this is a Kansas State team that I think people overlook, but they're better than people give them credit for. And, you know, if there's a team that I think can spoil the party for TCU, it might be Kansas State. So, I like your rationale behind picking Kansas State, but I'll say this much, they went to Fort Worth and TCU beat them by 10. They beat them 38 to 28. That was so, when, that was an Adrian Martinez got hurt. That's when Adrian Martinez got hurt. Unfortunately, he might not play on Saturday. Now you see where I'm going with this. I don't think it's the same Kansas State team that we're going to see that we saw before that game. And I think they needed him to try to decisively win this one. For that reason, amongst a couple other ones, I'll go with TCU. You are going with TCU? Okay. Yeah, I got to stick with TCU at this point. I've been saying the Big 12 was theirs to lose for almost two months now. I got to stick with it at this point. I'm going to stick with the chaos just because. (laughs) Someone's got to stick with the chaos. I trust you. You, You'll do well. LSU and Georgia, that's going to be at at the Georgia, well, where the Falcons play now, right? Isn't that where Yeah, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is where it is. They're going to play that championship game and then get ready for Steelers and Falcons on Sunday. 
Well, it helps if they play in the dome. Yes, um, yes it does. My buddy in Georgia, I was telling you about it, he actually was trying to go to both games. And at one point during the week, he was looking at the ticket prices. They were actually priced around the same amount. Really? Which I thought was insane. He's like, yeah, it's like almost the same amount for tickets that it is for the SEC championship game. I'm like, how's that possible? I thought, I thought that was the Steelers craziest thing ever. would be a lot cheaper because it's the Falcons. <laughs> right, because it's the Falcons and the Steelers, and both teams are under 500. You're saying that that amount is the same, is the same as the SEC championship game, which I thought was nuts. Um, Georgia's minus... George's minus 17 and a half in this one. I'll let you go first with this. I can't think of a reason not to take Georgia other than their offense not covering 17 and a half. But LSU is facing Georgia in the state of Georgia. They may not be in Athens, but they ain't that far away. And this LSU team, I, I know what they did against Alabama, but they did it in Death Valley. I get that. But they also lost to Texas A&M. And Jimbo's a fraud. <laughs> it, yeah, like I, I can't take you as seriously if you lose to A&M. You beat Alabama at home. Tennessee, Tennessee also beat Alabama at home. Tennessee lost to South Carolina. So you see where I'm going with this. Like it's, it's hard to take you as seriously as as you could going up against Georgia, a three loss SEC West team. By the way, that hasn't happened in what like 16 years. It's been, it's been kind of crazy. So. I gotta go. I gotta go Georgia here, just on principle. I'm not. I told you, I'm not betting against Georgia for a while. I made that mistake one time, and I hated myself for it. So I'm not doing it again. I wouldn't blame you, and I'm not doing it either. I'm taking. I'm taking the Bulldogs. You, LSU, you know me. I acknowledge the Tribal Chief. LSU losing on Saturday to Texas A&M was kind of the nail in the coffin for me. You can't lose that game. You cannot lose that game. You cannot. Not to mention, you know, granted, yeah, we know you're in the conference championship game. But it strengthens your case for the playoff. Right. If you're a two-loss SEC champion, let's say that they beat A&M and somehow beat Georgia. It's hard to argue with a two-loss LSU team that beat Alabama and beat Georgia. You're in. If, you're in if, you, if USC loses, right? Because Michigan's going right. to get in. TCU right. would get it. Yeah, I, I agree with right. you on that. Yeah. This, this is a team that benefits better than anybody from your chaos scenario. Because if they beat AM and somehow beat Georgia, you're talking about a what? An 11 and 2 Georgia team? I mean, 11 and 2 LSU team that has beaten Georgia and Alabama. So if TCU or USC lose, LSU's in. Yep. They're in. There's no question. Yep. Because you're sitting there going, who has two wins better than Alabama and Georgia? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> and, and honestly, here's another thing that happens. LSU probably gets in. Georgia probably drops to, like, the third seed because I think Georgia stays in. So sure. you probably have, like, a Michigan one, um, a Michigan one, maybe a Georgia two or a three with LSU taking that other seed. And who's the fourth one that gets in? Is it Ohio State? Or TCU if they win. Or TCU if they win. So now you're talking scenario where you might have two Big Ten teams or two SEC teams in it. So, yeah, LSU losing that game, that hurt them tremendously. Chaos could have been in their favor if they would have beat AM. Uh Clemson UNC ACC Championship. I'm rolling with Mac Brown and the Tar Heels no matter what because Clemson's a bunch of frauds. <laughs> I don't believe in DJ. I just don't. I'm taking Shout U- out to Sorry, go ahead. I'm taking UNC in the points. Shout out to Jack Zarensic. Jack, I love you, but I'm picking the guy you hate. I'm going <laughs> with North Carolina. At the very least to cover this game. I don't trust Clemson. And they're playing 
in uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. This is not going to be like one of those home field advantage type games. I mean, you're talking to South Carolina team, the North Carolina team playing in the southern part of North Carolina. This is not going to be as easy as far as home field advantage. Um, I think North Carolina's offense can do more than Clemson's offense can. I like their quarterback more. I like Drake May a lot more than I like DJ. North Carolina's defense, however, is just super suspect. Like right. They just get lit up. That's the problem. Yeah. If North Carolina's defense can somehow, just somehow, take advantage of Clemson's mistakes and give North Carolina the ball back, North Carolina can win this thing by 10. If they get a couple turnovers and North Carolina turns in the points, they can win this game by 10. I, I don't think it's that crazy. This is this is the one game out of the four Power 5 conferences. This is the one game that can literally go either way. And for that reason, I'm taking North Carolina. The, the way that the South Carolina-Clemson game went, where it was a shootout and Rattler just kept throwing touchdowns, that's what I think now May is going to do. Yeah. That, now you see where I'm going. If Spencer Rattler can do that, what do you think May can do? Right, exactly. <laughs> and then finally... Purdue and Michigan, Michigan's minus 17 Big Ten championship. I'm rolling with the spoiler makers to cover the 17. Wow. <laughs> wow, the spoiler makers. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. All right. I think we learned the thing that we hadn't learned before about Michigan in the, the, in the uh, Big Ten championship game. I think we figured out what Michigan finally could be. And now that we've seen that Michigan can throw the ball, it's pressed into throwing it, I think Michigan can cover this against Purdue. I think it's in Michigan's best interest to cover this against Purdue. I don't think you want to let Purdue in this game. I don't think you want to let Purdue keep it close. If you're Michigan, you cannot afford to get into a shootout because you're not a shootout kind of team. Michigan's best thing is when they can run the ball, set up play action, Take big shots down the field. They had five plays of 50 yards or 45 yards or more against Ohio State. And a lot of that was based on the fact that they ran the ball and they used the opportunity to take shots down the field. If you're using one to set up the other, it plays right into Michigan's hands. Purdue, I don't think, can keep up with them. I think they're going to manhandle them at the line of scrimmage. And if Michigan, if Michigan can pull away the way they did against Ohio State, I'm pretty sure they can do it against Purdue. Yeah. They probably can. I'm just trying to be different because I'm trying to catch it. <laughs> you want chaos. I understand it. I I'm, understand trying, it from your I'm trying to catch I, you. <laughs> I applaud your efforts to 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 uh to enact chaos. I applaud it. I, I'm a fan. We have three different results, and we are the same on Georgia because we acknowledge Roman Reigns. <laughs> we acknowledge the tribal chief. Okay, we got to quickly move on to the NFL. We start with Thursday night football. We, we're, at, we're dropping this on a Friday, so uh, I'll just tell you what, I, in my pick'em group, so you don't think I'm cheating, because I did see the score, I took New England, and they are plus three and a half. They are currently winning seven to three uh, when we recorded this, but I took them, and that's who I took. You and I talked about this off air, and I said probably New England, and for no other reason that the running game would be able to do it. Ramondre Stevenson, besides the fact that he's on my fantasy team, but I do love him. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I trusted the Patriots at home in this game only because it's a Thursday night, and you know how I am about Thursday night and home teams. And I thought the Patriots would be the one team that can actually control the ball against Buffalo because Buffalo doesn't like to run the football with anyone other than Josh Allen. 
Right. So, yeah, this was one that I thought the Patriots, too. Of course, Buffalo can go and beat them by two touchdowns, and I look like an idiot. But I, I also trusted New England in this one. I just don't think the Bills are the same ever since Allen's injury, which, go figure, that's usually what happens when you, your quarterback gets hurt. But they just they haven't been as explosive. They struggle with the Lions, and I get it. The, the Thanksgiving is the Lions' Super Bowl, but you yeah. know, they, they let they, them in that game. They go nuts in Detroit for that game. Like Ford Field, they, they roll the red carpet out. It's a great fan experience. I've been able to go to two Thanksgiving Day games in Detroit, and I love both of them. They actually got smoked by Peyton Manning in one of them. You went to that and game when he threw six I touchdowns? Was, yeah, I was there at that one. I was there at Ford Field. Dude! Um, I was there when they beat Brett Favre on Thanksgiving. So, you know, nice. Detroit, they get up for that game. It's, it's a really cool experience to be there on Thanksgiving. Like, you, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's a Super Bowl because the Lions suck that bad. I'm saying it's a Super Bowl because they treat it like a huge event. Like, they have a big halftime show. Like, it's a nationally televised game. They really put their best foot forward at Ford Field for that game. So I'm not shocked that the Lions came out and gave a great effort. Plus, they play for Dan Campbell, and he gets them up for games like that. But, yeah, I, I'm the type of person that, you know, you need to be able to win games a certain way, even if things go wrong. And Buffalo can't do that because they just refuse to lean on their run game, especially after their quarterback gets injured and he's not 100%. I can't trust Buffalo to throw 50 times now with an injured Josh Allen and not try to go through the run game. That bothers me. Okay. Well, we both went with New England then. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Steelers and Falcons. The Steelers are minus one. We're both going with the Steelers on this one, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going Steelers. This is the first time as a road favorite. This is a matchup that totally favors them. They can really run the ball. Um, the Falcons can't stop it too well. They really can't stop the pass. If you want to talk about a game where Kenny Pickett can really light up the stat sheet, this might be it. Because I know people have wanted him to do it before. I haven't wanted that. I wanted the running game to do it first and then let Kenny make some plays after that. This could be the game that he goes kind of nuts. And people are like, oh, see, this is the guy we wanted all along. You're like, slow down. The Falcons are just terrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Titans at the Eagles, Philly minus four and a half. Where are you going with this one? Uh, it's kind of hard to pick against Philly right now. Yeah. Just the way that they're playing. And, you know, they are, they're a team that can throw. Like, A.J. Brown already has 800-plus receiving yards and seven touchdowns. And it's only been 11 games. Like, can you point that out? Was he the was he the piece this team was really missing? Yes, so they, absolutely. They nailed it when they brought him over. Yeah, absolutely. Philly knew going into this offseason, they knew that their offensive line was good. They knew their defensive front was good. They knew they had athletes on defense, and they knew what they had at quarterback. They knew what they had at running back. And they knew what they had at, at tight end. It's just they needed a receiver that could make plays down the field, and they found it. They, they made a very shrewd trade with Tennessee to get A.J. Brown, and they found the downfield presence that they needed. That's a guy that Jalen Hurts needed. When you're a run-heavy team like Philly is, and they are a run-heavy team, they're another team that can run the ball with more than one guy. Dude, they, they rushed for over 360 yards on Sunday. Now you see where I'm going with this. And if you can run the ball well, it opens up opportunities down the field to take shots. And A.J. Brown, that's catnip for him. And this is a game that I feel like it goes Philly's way. Yep, I agree with you on taking the Eagles. Packers at the Bears. Justin Fields more than likely going to suit up. Aaron Rodgers says he's probably going to play. Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. He does. But you know what, Josh? This year, the Packers have been really, really suspect. I think the Bears might win this game outright. 
I'm taking Chicago plus five. Here's what scares me for Green Bay. Not the fact that they're on the road and not the fact that Aaron Rodgers typically owns the Bears. It's the fact that the Bears can run the football. That's what worries me about this game for Green Bay. And Justin Fields has done a lot of that by himself. And he adds an element to this offense that I think people aren't acknowledging. I mean, he's on pace to rush for, what, 1,300 yards by the end of the season, maybe 1,400. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if the Bears get on this roll where they're having a lot of extended drives and they're, they're moving the chains and holding on to the ball for, for extended periods of time. I don't know if Green Bay's defense can stand up to that over time. And I think that's what worries me. I like the Bears covering this because nice. I think I think Green Bay and honestly, the Packers are four and 18. They're only a game better than the Bears. So it's like, how, how much is the Aaron Rodgers mystique worth right now? Because if it was worth that much more, they wouldn't be a four and 18. I, agree. I don't know if it matters as much. I agree. I like Chicago. All right. We're both on the Bears then. Nice. Yeah. Jags at the Lions. I really was impressed with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville in the game against the Ravens where I took Jacksonville. Baltimore was handling them pretty well. I was like, well, I lost that one. And Red Zone kept going to that game. I'm like, man, Jacksonville's actually going to do it. And Trevor Lawrence balled out. I picked him up in fantasy this week. I think the Jaguars are going to Ford Field and they're winning a football game. I'll take the Jags minus one. I was so tempted two weeks ago after Matthew Stafford got hurt on my fantasy team because Stafford's my backup behind Tom Brady. And I was like, man, should I go get Trevor Lawrence? And I thought about it and I thought, thought about it. I was like, eh. And, and the week I needed a backup, he just happened to be on his bye. Mm. So picking him up wouldn't have helped me. I picked up Daniel Jones and he got me like 31 points against Detroit. So oh, so I'll it worked out Daniel okay. Jones on that one. <laughs> so it worked out at the moment. But at the same time, I'm going, man, I wish there would have been a way to that picking up Trevor Lawrence would have helped me. Just so happy he was on his bye week. But part of me says, like, I should have went back after that game was over and just dropped Daniel Jones and went back and got Trevor Lawrence. I, I liked the way Trevor played in that game uh, against Baltimore. But I love what Andrew Wingard said after the game against Baltimore. And he goes, man, I'm so happy for Trevor Lawrence because he's he's really he's really worked hard trying to try to, you know, really assert himself. Plus, he had to deal with Urban Meyer last year, which totally set me. I laughed like 15 <laughs> times hearing that. I just kept playing it back and laughing. I'm, I'm really I'm really intrigued by what he does. I like Trevor Lawrence. I like what this Jaguars offense is capable of doing. And these are two four and seven teams. I won't say they're each evenly matched because I think Detroit's defense is a sieve. So I'll take Jacksonville. They have the worst defense in the league. So I, I'm expecting a lot of fantasy points from Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. All right. I would agree. Let's do a couple quick hitters here as we are running low on time. Uh, Browns at Texans. Browns minus seven. Deshaun Watson returns. I'm taking Cleveland. I got Cleveland too. The Texans are terrible. And Yes. Uh, that's all that needs to be said. Uh, Jets <laughs> at Vikings. Who you got with this one? The Vikings are minus three. Vikings, even with Mike White, if he, if he plays a quarterback again, I still like what the Vikings are doing on offense. They play just enough. Just well enough on defense to keep them in games. I like Minnesota. I like Minnesota as well. They have too many playmakers, and their defense will be able to shut down Mike White, I think. Broncos exactly. at Ravens. Baltimore minus 8.5. The Broncos are so bad. I may never pick them again. I'll take Baltimore in the points. Broncos country, you are not riding, especially in Edgar Allan Poe's home. I'm going Baltimore. <laughs> Commanders. <laughs> Is that too harsh? 
No, not at all. Commanders at Giants. Giants plus two and a half. I'm going to take the Giants as the home underdogs. I'm going to do it here. I'm going to say the three words, Greg. Go ahead. Or the four words. <laughs> Let Taylor Heineke cook. You're taking the Commanders. Let him cook. I'm taking Washington. Nice. Dolphins at 49ers. San Francisco minus four. Where are you going with this one? This is a good one. This is a great matchup because uh, Mike McDaniel comes back and faces his former team. As good as that offense is, 49ers defense is really good. I like San Francisco's offense against Miami's defense more than I like Miami's offense against San Francisco's defense. I think that balance like would slide a little bit in San Francisco's favor. Plus, they're at home. I got San Francisco covering the four, but I think it'll be close. I think I'm going to go with the 49ers as well. I just think uh, Miami's defense won't be able to stop the 49ers, but the 49ers' defense might be able to slow down Tua. Jimmy G, 4-1 to touchdown interception ratio, and his QB rating is like 109. Just saying. And they almost let him walk. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Seattle at the Rams. The Super Bowl champions are not going to return. They are not very good this year. I'll take Seattle no. minus 7. No Stafford, no Aaron Donald. Dominance incarnate won't even be on the field. Seahawks, definitely. And no Cooper Cup either. No Cooper Cup. This should Cup, be right. way more than seven points if those guys it are really should. If they're not playing. It really should. Chargers at Raiders. Vegas minus one. I'm taking Vegas strictly because of our boys, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams. The Chargers have one of the worst defenses in the league. Let them cook. It, it, this is crazy. It's the coach I don't trust versus the team I don't trust with two players I love. <laughs> <sighs> I'm with you. Vegas by default. I don't Just trust, for Josh Jacobs and Devontae. I Sanders. don't trust Josh McDaniels to do the right thing either, but I trust Brandon Staley least. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, so we both go with the Raiders then? Yeah, we both go with the Raiders. Chiefs at Bengals. This one's stunning. The Bengals are only at a plus two. I like Kansas City, no problem here. So do I. Um, the Bengals' defense, I think it's better than people give them credit for. But the Chiefs' offense is really suited to deal with just about any scenario. Mm -hmm. And that scares me. It, it, it seems like they just they just play the chess game better than anybody. And as long as they don't make mistakes, they're really, really hard to beat. If this game was an arrowhead, I'd say Chiefs by a touchdown. They can win this by three or four, so I'll say KC. Uh, Colts at Cowboys is the Sunday night football game, and it's strictly because Dallas draws an audience. Yes. And for that reason alone, I'm taking the Cowboys. It's minus 10.5, but I think Dallas rolls in this one. Dallas should run the football very efficiently. That defense is going to torture Matt Ryan, even though he has Jonathan Taylor. Dallas is one of the best defenses in the game for a reason. I say Cowboys, too, with the, the double-digit win. How about the Saints at the Bucks for Monday Night Football? The Saints have been giving Tom Brady a fit. He went into the Superdome and won the game earlier this season. Now they're at home. They just lost to Cleveland in a heartbreaker. Where are you going with this one? Tampa has to win to stay in front of the division. They can't afford to, to blow this. I mean, they're 5-16. and 16. Granted, the teams below them, I think, will all lose. I think well, Carolina's on their bye week, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I expect the Falcons to lose. So the Buccaneers can assert themselves and really open up that gap, and I think they will. I like Tampa. I like Tampa as well. I don't trust Andy Dalton. I just don't. That'll do it for us. 
we will be back next week. We'll talk about the Steelers game. We'll talk about the college football championship weekend. And, of course, we will break down our hot sheets like we always do. For Josh Taylor, I'm Greg Finley. This has been Episode 54 of the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast, presented by Ethos Life. We'll talk to you next week.